button for today. I just have one uh, quick announcement. Uh, we have on January 21st at 8 a.m., uh, we'll be having an event called Discover Emmaus. Discover Emmaus is an opportunity for you to learn what it means uh, to become a member here at Emmaus. We'll cover things like our vision, uh, our values. We'll cover things like what we believe and how we operate as a church. So if you're interested in joining with us in covenant membership, then Discover Emmaus is for you. Uh, I want to invite you to register for that. Um, We have weekly emails that go out uh, to the church uh, on at at some point during the week. And so uh, there's a a link in those emails that will allow you to register. So make sure to avail yourself of that if you want to come to Discover Emmaus and learn more of what it means to become a member here at the church. All right, well, turn with me to the book of Psalms. This morning we'll be in Psalm chapter 1. The very first psalm will serve as our text for today. I don't know about you, but over the past week, uh, I've been looking forward to another year. I've been looking ahead and reflecting on where my life has been. And I've been thinking also about what I want my life to become in light of God's grace toward me. In Jesus Christ. And as it has so often been with me at this time of year, Psalm chapter 1 is a go to passage of scripture because it really puts things in perspective for me. It it clarifies things for me in a way that few other things can. And so I want to invite you to join with me in considering the words of this psalm and let's see what God wants to say to us today. Psalm chapter 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. The truth is that we are all faced with many decisions in life. And some of these decisions can feel really big and weighty and important, while other decisions can feel smaller or relatively inconsequential. And yet, of all the decisions that you and I are going to make on a daily basis over the next year of our lives, there is one decision that stands alone. It is the single most important decision that we will ever make. In fact, if I'm reading this psalm 
correctly, if I'm reading it the way it was meant to be read, then I think the first thing we need to do today is we need to distinguish between decisions and the decision. I'm talking about the ultimate choice that determines everything else about who we are, what we're becoming, and where we are headed in life. And that choice, that decision is this. Which way will you go? That's the question that Psalm 1 is asking us. Which way are you going to go? Will you go with the way of righteousness? Or will you go with the way of wickedness? Now if you look closely, you'll notice something. You'll notice that Psalm 1, as it asks us this question, as it confronts us with these two ways, it's operating under two basic assumptions. And so I want us to to pinpoint these assumptions. Let's do that. The first assumption we need to notice is that the path that each person will forge in life has a very real destination. I think that to some degree we all realize that life in this world involves a cause and effect dynamic. Generally speaking, we know that our actions will cause reactions in the world around us. The way that we choose to conduct ourselves, the way that we choose to live our lives can have an effect on our environment for better or for worse. But according to Psalm 1, this cause and and, and effect dynamic This runs much deeper than that. It runs much deeper than our immediate environment. What Psalm 1 is actually telling us is that there are spiritual effects that come from our actions. The way that we live can have an eternal impact. So that's the first assumption. There's an ultimate outcome to the way of life that we choose to embrace. There's an ultimate destination. We cannot avoid it. Sooner Or later, it's something we all must face. The second assumption is that there are only two paths. Psalm 1 sets before us only two ways to approach life. The psalmist speaks, as I've already mentioned, he speaks of the way of righteousness, which is the way of the God of the Bible, and he speaks of the way of wickedness, which belongs to everything else. There is no middle ground between these two paths. There is not a third option. Now let's just be honest and admit something about ourselves up front. Let's admit to our contemporary Western sensibilities, this sounds pretty narrow-minded. Odds are there's someone in this room right now who's wondering, what about other religions? What about sincere, well-intentioned people from other religious backgrounds? Are you really going to say that their religion does not count for anything? I mean, aren't there all kinds of ways to find God, to find enlightenment? Are are we really so narrow-minded so as to believe that there is only one way to live? There is only one right way. Here's the thing, if we're going to take the Bible seriously, we're going to read it on its own terms, and we, we really cannot get around what Psalm 1 is saying. This psalm is clearly confronting us with a binary of choices, and it's pressing us toward a decision point. Also add this, that the two ways of Psalm 1 
It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's not as if God is is more narrow-minded or more rigid in the Old Testament and then changes his, his tune in the New Testament and becomes nicer. No, just listen to the Apostle Paul, for example, in Ephesians 2, where he describes the way of wickedness. He calls it the course of this world. The way of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So both Psalm 1 in the Old Testament and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament are telling us the same thing. They're telling us that any way of life that does not have God in his righteousness at its center is a way of life that is completely incompatible with Christianity. It's something that we have to understand. We have to understand that if we're going to love and worship God in the way that he calls us to love and worship him, we must understand that there are only two ways to live. And make no mistake, each of these two ways has a very real destination. So the big question that lies before us as we wade into this psalm is how can we know which path we're on? Can we have any assurance whatsoever that we are on the right path? Can we rest knowing that we will end up in the right destination? We'll look once more at how this psalm begins. Verse 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. and He does not sit the seat of scoffers. So one of the things that you'll notice right away is that the way of righteousness and blessing involves avoiding the path of wickedness. The psalmist is warning us not to get entrenched in those things that keep us from the Lord because just look at the progression there in verse 1. There's a clear progression to the way of wickedness. At first, a person may flirt with it. They casually walk in it. And then before long, they're associated with it. They're no longer walking in it. Now they're standing in the way of sinners. And then eventually they become completely immersed in it. They they fully plant themselves in the seat of mockers and blasphemers. Friends, this is the the real danger to the way of wickedness. At At first you walk and then you stand. And then before you know it, you're sitting. You become entrenched. This is why 1 John chapter 3 tells us, do not make a practice of sinning. Because sin ensnares us. It it enslaves us. The Puritan minister Richard Baxter once said that the longer you delay repentance, the more your sin gets strength and rooting. That's how it works in the way of sin and wickedness. The more time you spend on the wrong path, the more entrenched you become in that path. I mean, you've heard people say, practice makes perfect. Well, a practice of sinning will make you perfectly sinful. Yet Psalm 1 doesn't only tell us what we shouldn't do. It tells us what we should be doing. This is because the way of righteousness is not only characterized by what you avoid, but it's also characterized by what you embrace. The psalmist tells us in verse 2 that the blessed man, the man who is on the way of righteousness, finds his delight in the law of the Lord. 
He meditates on God's law both day and night. So that statement there in verse 2, that's the heartbeat of this psalm. Because what it shows us is that what we delight in is decisive when it comes to our ultimate destination. A pastor named Ray Ortland says that this psalm teaches us a very simple principle for the Christian life, that delight determines destiny. Delight determines destiny. So if you boil it all down, it's really the basic idea that that delighting in what God says, delighting in his covenant instruction, delighting in, in his word of truth is a telltale sign that we are on the path of righteousness. It's one of the main ways that we know we're living a life of true blessedness. It is the most sure way of knowing that we will end up in the right destination. All of it comes down to the question of what am I delighting in? Day by day by day, what am I meditating on? What is it that is stirring my heart, my affections? And really that brings me to the first point of the sermon today. The sermon The first point of today's sermon is this. That the path of righteousness is forged by delight in what God says. The path of righteousness is forged by delight in what God says. You know, life is filled with all kinds of noise. There are voices that are hounding us each moment, coming from every direction in order to tell us what to think. What to believe. What to pay attention to. But Psalm 1 is telling us that in the end there is only one voice that we must learn to delight in above every other. And it's the voice of God speaking to us loud and clear in the pages of his word. The blessed man is defined by this and this alone that he delights in the law of the Lord. But just look at what else. His delight is consistent. His delight is faithful. His delight is deliberate. He delights in the law of God around the clock. Right? Whether it's the the middle of the daytime or the middle of the night, this blessed man is meditating on what God has said. The Hebrew word there translated as as meditate in verse 2, it literally means to murmur to oneself. The righteous man, as he goes throughout his day, and as he lays his head on his pillow in the evening, he is murmuring to himself the covenant instruction of the Lord. He's preaching it to himself. He's constantly hiding it away in his heart. More than anything else, the blessed man, the righteous man, he longs for his life to revolve revolve around the word of God. And the psalmist invites us to consider the outcome of his way of life, this righteous man. Remember, the way that you choose to go has a very real destination, and the destination of the blessed man is described to us in verse 3. Verse 3 tells us that the path of righteousness results in a life of flourishing as the blessed man enjoys the nearness of his God. The psalmist uses word pictures. To convey this to us, he says that the blessed man is like a tree. It's planted right next to a stream. And this tree bears fruit at the appointed times. And the leaves of this tree do not wither. 
Now, we all know how nature works. We all know that most trees are dependent upon rainfall in order to stay alive. But the problem with rainfall is that it's inconsistent. You know how it is. After all, you live in the Midwest. Around here, we can't count on the weather for anything. It can go days without raining. I mean, when it comes, when the middle of July comes around, everything is brown. There's a point in the summer where you don't even need to mow your lawn anymore. The the grass is so brittle and dry. Nothing is growing. Nothing is flourishing. Throughout the year, rainfall is inconsistent at best. It's typically seasonal. It rains a lot in some seasons, and it hardly rains at all in others. But this tree that the psalmist is describing to us, this tree has no such concern because it is planted in the presence of its very source of life. Its its roots are plunged deep in an environment that is perfectly conducive to its flourishing. That's what the Word of God does for us. When we listen to God, when we meditate on what He says, it plants us directly in His presence. This is what Psalm 1 is pointing out to us. Showing us that this is how we prosper in the Christian life. In every season, we must stay planted in the presence of our source. And we do that by delighting ourselves in what He has said. Of course, if you've lived for any amount of time, You know that not every season is the same. Some seasons are much harder than others. Of course, we always thank God for the good seasons, right? That that tree next to the living stream, it bears fruit in the right season when the right season comes. And we praise God for that. We give him glory when, when there are times that we can sense that we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit and in the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's incredibly encouraging when we can feel the presence and power of God working in our lives. But things don't always feel that way. Things don't always feel that way. There are seasons where the Christian life can be incredibly hard. The path of righteousness sometimes cuts right through the valley of the shadow of death. We know know what that's like. We've all had those moments where we're tempted by doubt, unbelief, where things are getting dark and we wonder if God has turned the light of his face from us. And that happens, we need to remember that despite our experience, despite how things feel at a given moment, the word of God is still there for us. It still calls out to us and still beckons to us and invites us to make it our constant delight. And so with the the covenant instruction of our God as a lamp to our feet in the darkest valley, we can keep on forging ahead. We can keep moving forward step by step on the path of righteousness. And in the end, we will find that what this psalm says is absolutely true. We will not wither. We will not languish. We will not waste away. But instead, we will prosper. God will prosper us in all the ways that matter most for his kingdom. I love what Psalm 92 says. Just listen to how it describes the righteous man. It says that the righteous will flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The righteous are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. 
They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. That is what is promised to all who choose the path of righteousness. God promises to us a life of true eternal flourishing so that we would be able to stand firm in all of life and testify to the unchanging ways of our God that he is our rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. But that's not where Psalm 1 leaves off. It goes on. There's more. Immediately after giving us a promise of prosperity, Psalm 1 takes a sharp turn. A very sharp turn. In verse 4, there's a, a pivot point where the blessed man fades into the background. And the wicked man emerges in the foreground. And the psalmist does this for a reason. He does it to show us the sharp contrast between the two ways in Psalm 1. So now that we've considered the way of the righteous, how it plants, a, plants us and, and roots us in God's presence, we will now be urged to consider the way of wickedness, how it makes us rootless and ephemeral. The psalmist says that the wicked are like chaff that is driven away in the wind. When turbulent times come, when trial and tribulation comes, the way of the wicked is exposed for what it really is. It's exposed as hollow and worthless. But what's worse than that is their ultimate destination. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will find themselves unable to join the congregation of the righteous. And therein lies the, the great tragedy of a life of sin. That ultimately God will turn his face away from those who persist in unrepentant sin. Their way will not be known to him. They will miss out on the joy of living in his presence. They will miss out on all the good things that the righteous will enjoy. Instead, the wicked will be destroyed. In the end, they will come under the judgment of the Lord. They will find that what it says in the book of Hebrews is true. That it's a, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, living God, of the living God. And that brings us to the second point we need to understand today. That the way of wickedness results in total destruction. The way of wickedness results in total destruction. So there you have it. Two choices, two ways. The way of the righteous and its delight in the things of God versus the way of wickedness and its complete and total destruction. There is no choice that's more fundamental to your life than what Psalm 1 is presenting to you today. It's a choice you simply cannot avoid. It's a choice that you're making every single day whether you like, to, whether you like it or not, whether you mean to or not. With every seemingly small decision you make in life, you are choosing one of the two ways of Psalm 1. And you're, listen to me, friends, your heart, your heart is never in neutral. It's always going in some direction. It's always going toward the way of wickedness or the way of righteousness. Just think about it. When you're scrolling on social media and you linger over that image or you click on that link, you're making a choice. That's not a small thing. That's not a, a neutral thing. You are choosing which way you will go. Or when, when you're sitting in traffic and somebody does something that just makes your blood boil. 
right? How will you respond in that moment? What will you do? How will you react? And what will your reaction reveal about you? There are countless moments in our lives that are just like that, where we are confronted not just with a choice, but with the choice. C.S. Lewis describes this very thing in Mere Christianity when he says that every time you make a choice, you are turning a central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central part of you into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Friends, as we look to the next year of our lives, it's worth asking ourselves, what kind of creature am I becoming? What am I turning into? Am I slowly but surely becoming like that blessed man that Psalm 1 describes? Or am I drifting towards certain destruction? The way you answer that question comes down to one thing. It comes down to what is your posture toward the word of God? Is it your constant source of delight? Here's my central challenge to us. If, there, if there's a takeaway or an application, I want to challenge each of us to order our lives around the scriptures. Order our lives around the word of God. Think carefully about how you spend your day. Is your day ordered around delighting in the scriptures? Or are the scriptures just some sort of like extra add-on to your life whenever you happen to find the time? The Bible is not an afterthought, friends. God's word deserves much more than our leftovers. Instead, it must remain at the very center of our lives because it is his means of keeping us planted in his presence. It's really very simple. Stay near to the scriptures by faith and you will stay near to your source of life. But neglect the scriptures and you will invite things into your life that keep you from receiving what God has for you. And the sad truth is, if it were all left up, if, if the whole thing were left up to us, were left up to you and me, that's exactly what would happen. We would drift toward the way of wickedness every time. And I would wager that for every one of us, we can all recall moments over the past year of our lives where the, the way of wickedness has dominated. The way of righteousness has been the first thing or has been the farthest thing from our minds. That's because the way of wickedness comes naturally to us. Remember, each of us is a sinner by nature and by choice. And sinners can be incredibly set in their ways. I mean, is this not what Paul told us in the book of Romans where he says, no one is righteous, not even one. Right? No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. All their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. Friends, that is our default path from the moment we enter into this world. None of us has chosen the path of righteousness for ourselves. Straight from the womb, we embark on the course of the path of destruction. And it's really just that. It is a path of destruction. It is a path that will end us. It was, it's a path that will kill us. Paul says this. He'll go on to say in the book of Romans. He says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is destruction. 
All of us have spent too much time on the wrong path. Some of us have been choosing that path for years. And the truth is, if if you were only to set foot on the path of wickedness for just a split second, that would be enough to eternally damn you. It would, because God is so holy, so pure, so righteous, that even the, the most seemingly small sin that you have ever committed is an eternal offense to him. Let alone a lifetime of sin. So the truth is, we can talk all day about what choice we're going to make over the next year of our lives. We can talk about it until we're blue in the face. But here's the thing, if we do not get honest with ourselves about how messed up our condition really is, it's, it's pretty much just a waste of time. Which means that as we consider the choice that lies before us today, as we consider these two ways, and as we think about where we're going to go in 2024, we'll never think clearly about any of it, none of it, unless we begin with the gospel. And the gospel tells us that the way of righteousness only has one set of footprints on it. And those footprints aren't yours, and they certainly are not mine. They are the footprints of Jesus Christ. He is the blessed man in Psalm 1. He is the only truly righteous person who has ever lived. He spent every moment of his life delighting in the law of the Lord, and he never wavered from that. And for that, he has every right to point the finger at you and me and say, you don't measure up. You love the way of wickedness. And you deserve to be damned for that. Oh, but friends, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't look over at the path of wickedness and wag his finger at us. Instead, what he did is he looked at us and he said, do not spend another moment of your life on that path. Instead, give me all your sin. Give me all your misery. Give me all the guilt of your unrighteousness and I will bear it for you. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We gave him our wickedness and guess what? He gave us his righteousness. That's how you and I ended up on the right path. We were on the path of destruction and we saw a bright red flashing exit sign and on it was written in the blood of the only righteous man who ever walked the face of the earth and his blood spoke a better word to us and we came to our senses and we said enough is enough. I'm getting off of this wrong path and I'm I'm going to follow that blessed man. So it is that sinners like you and me ended up in the congregation of the righteous. It's because a righteous man was our ticket in. His footprints on the path of righteousness became our footprints. And so we can look at the year ahead, not just with a list of things that we need to do better in order to measure up. We don't need to earn our keep or Or our spot in the congregation of the righteous? No, look around you. We've already arrived. We're already here. This is it. Instead, we are being called to surrender the next year of our lives to that blessed man. The righteous one who gave himself for the unrighteous. So that we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. And so knowing this, we can look ahead asking ourselves. In what ways can I live? So as to best honor Jesus and his sacrifice for me. And as we ask that question, 
How fitting is it that we get to come to the communion table this morning? And we get to proclaim his sacrifice as the church. The Apostle Paul tells us that each and every time we take this bread and this cup by faith, that's exactly what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. As we follow Jesus on the way of righteousness, it leads us directly to his table where he sets before us a feast. And it's in this feast that we get to participate in his body and his blood. We get to to eat and drink this cup by faith and we are never sent away empty. He always fills us so that we can continue on the right path. Listen, if you are not on the path of righteousness today, meaning if you're not believing or following Jesus, we ask you to refrain from coming to this table. I want to tell you the truth. If you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting in Christ, you are on the path of destruction. What you need most is not at this table. Can't be found at the communion table. Instead, what you need is to place your trust in the only one who can save you. You don't have to stay on the path of wickedness any longer. Instead, Jesus has set before you a flashing bright red exit sign this morning. So take the exit. Trust in him. And he will firmly plant you on the right path. For those of us who will come to the table, we'll begin here in the front. We'll move to the back of the room. We'll come down this aisle and I'll walk around the front here and receive the elements at the table. But before we do that, can we go to the Lord in prayer? Let's bow our heads and and lift our hearts to God. Lord, We hear your voice today and we realize just how far we've fallen short. We know that left to ourselves, we can't keep your word. We can't keep your commands and so we ask for your help. We beg you for your grace and your enabling love that strengthens us to bear the fruit of righteousness. God, carve out new depths in our hearts so we can welcome more of your presence to come take up residence within us and grant that we might have a deeper hunger for your word. Lord, I ask that it be the constant delight of our hearts in 2024 and beyond. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Church, come to the feast for Jesus, the blessed man that's waiting for you.